it's the Overnight Scape Central again. Oh, man. Uh, We're talking about Marvel Comics this week. Oh, boy. Uh, Talk about an iconic part of the youth of many of us, myself included. Uh, What a powerful storytelling uh, thing they had going on for us young guys of the 60s, early 70s, and in periods since. I mean, they still make the things, and the movies are among the biggest films made in history, which, as much as I love the comic books, the thought that the cinematic world's peak is a depiction of these comic books is kind of disheartening in some way but uh yeah we'll talk about that and we'll talk about what really counts the characters the creators and um we've got chad bowers and frank edward nora joining us on the panel for this week's show and uh, you could have been here and at the end of this show when i tell you what next week's topic is i'll invite you that's right we would like you to take a few minutes record a segment write something or uh, just join in the fun and you're already doing it i mean don't feel bad or uh, left out if you don't feel so compelled to uh, raise your voice with us but uh, appreciate you uh, lending an ear to all of this craziness and as i said chad bowers is here and may as well get things rolling dracula had a carriage with gold rim wheels they were very narrow in diameter counter to the uh, trends of the day but he was a man out of time and immortal in a sea of mortals. Marvel Magazine, Marvel Superhero, Superhero called Marvel, Marvel Mystery Oil for that matter, something that I would purchase when I was 16 years old in 1987 and 86. Marvel Mystery Oil, the uh, metal can, had this very mysterious label on it, and uh, I had heard my grandfather used it back in the late 30s and the 40s, so the fact that they had uh, the same graphics pretty much on the can, uh, it sold me on it, you know, I'd pour that in my car once a month. Marvel Mystery Oil, the little uh, automatic vehicle. It was a Ford Escort. I can't remember if that's a three-speed or a four-speed automatic, but it wasn't much, so let's go with the three. It was fun that a neighborhood was being developed, and they had pushed through with the heavy machinery to carve the roads out of the red clay soil. So the roads were these uh, somewhat unprepared dirt roads. You may not uh, be experienced with dirt roads, depending on where you live. But uh, dirt roads usually have somebody in a a device called a skitter who comes by uh, about once a month 
and they drag this blade on one side of it and then they drag this blade on the other and it sort of pushes the the rocks and dirts and even things out and uh, you know it gives you some drainage so there's sort of a left and a right either side of it are sort of slightly angled down which can be really helpful when you're riding with your uncle who uh, thinks he's impressing you with his imitation of uh, B.A. Baracus uh, or the fall guy or the six million dollar man fighting a uh, a robot version of Bigfoot freaky green eyes Bigfoot robotic Bigfoot you know it's obvious it's based on a true story because it's too strange to merely be the domain of 70s primetime American television. So this neighborhood, you know, it, it had been sort of uh, carved out of the woods, these streets going through it, but there was no neighborhood there yet. Maybe they ran into financing issues, but for whatever reason, progress was delayed. It became a raceway. Me and my other friends, who had just turned 16, happened to live in close proximity to this place. We were no stranger to uh, the art of driving. Having started to steal our mother's cars by the uh, age of 14, driving, of course, with the parents when you're 15, and then... When you're 16, you can actually drive yourself. I remember uh, after I destroyed the escort, buried remotely, anonymously, you'll never find her, but the uh, little transmission couldn't really put up with the rally racing I was putting it through because... I was using, and I did not know this was not something that could be done, but uh, I was using the automatic three-speed Ford Escort transmission. I was using that uh, as though it were a manual. So I was like really winding it out down in first, and then pushing it up to second, and then pushing it into drive, you know, and back down again, you know, depending on the... Uh, the acceleration, deceleration uh, needs in my strategy for riding around uh, these dirt roads through this neighborhood to be. It was just so much fun. It was so much fun being um, 16 in 1986. can remember... The other games uh, we played in the neighborhood, flying the kite through the sunroof on my Ford Escort. It was a uh, removable sunroof. You uh, kind of lifted the glass out and you could throw it in the back. Of course, you might want to leave it out of the back if somebody was going to ride in the back. But my car was not the preferred vehicle for that. Andy's uh, mother had just um, gotten a new uh, I guess it would have been an 86 or an 87 uh, Buick Park Avenue. And it's beautiful, beautiful uh, car. 
very traditional uh, Buick. It was right after what we classically call the full-size version. It did look a bit smaller than that. Um, but as you may have noticed, if you ever rode around in uh, any of those 1960s and 50s uh, huge cars, sometimes they weren't all that roomy inside. So the H body, I believe it was from Olds or from General Motors, was used by Oldsmobile on the uh, 98 and the 88 Delta 88 and the uh, Delta 98 Regency Brom as well as uh, used by Buick on their LeSabre, which was more their entry-level version, or their Park Avenue, which was uh, the most expensive uh, spot on the Monopoly board of the cars that I'm talking about to you. I think Ponteville had the... Ponteville? Bonneville from Pontiac. Remember... uh, Pontiac. Uh, poor old Nigel thinks it's a Cadillac. Well, that's hilarious. Last of the Mohicans. You know, that was the uh, origin of the Pontiac. They had that Indian chief as their logo. And uh, it's pretty cool looking logo right up there with the spirit of ecstasy. Or the uh, Cartier Crystal Chrysler Corporation logo that was uh, adorned the front bumper of the Chrysler New Yorker. Which at one time was uh, the pride of Chrysler Corporation. It was a halo car. They had a uh, money is no option uh, feature of the car. Which meant that uh, it didn't—it didn't matter how much uh, you know it cost to make it better. They would uh, hell—they put three air conditioners in there, you know, if it made it cold inside. Uh, they double up, triple up on the brakes, and build the springs in the seats out of solid gold. For absolutely unknown reasons, it was a horrible material choice. You sat on it once, and um, it pretty much bottomed out and stayed that way. But money was no object. And uh, although it didn't run very well, it uh, wasn't particularly comfortable, um, didn't have as much room as its 46 feet in length should have uh, indicated, uh, you know, New Yorkers are fine vehicle. And uh, don't take my word for it. The Park Avenue had a wonderful carpeted and dark and dry trunk. And the idea was that one person would get in the trunk and then the other two idiots would get up front. And they would just drive around and have fun, you know, and try to give you the uh, the space zero-G experience. Because you're in that simulation chamber, you're locked in there in the darkness and... Uh, the only sensation you have is the G-forces of wickedly turning right and uh, deviously dashing left quickly through neighborhood uh, speed bumps and 
obstacles. They had these little deals where they uh, they put like these little tiny courts in uh, in between the turnoffs in the neighborhood. And the idea was is you'd have to go left or right and sort of like a very small turnabout. And uh, this was done to slow people down. Well, you didn't have to slow down for it. You just had to be uh, brave or stupid. And you could play your luck on, uh, you know, just whizzing through. And if the back wheel caught the side of the uh, center, well, the guy in the back was going to get some serious negative G-forces and, for a moment, experience uh, a total lack of gravity, as well as the general... uh, air of Mysterioso from being in the trunk of, uh, of a car where you can't see and your idiot friends are up front laughing. Fun, fun stuff. I uh, remember one time we ended up in front of uh, Abby Hanlon's house, and uh, for some reason, this, this would have been an Andy's car, this was a... He had an Acura Integra, and we were in front of Abby's house, and he, we just started throwing all the trash out of the car, you know, and we were we were making up trash. We were pulling paper out of our backpacks and, uh, you know, creating trash, more trash, as well as, like, the you know, Coke bottles and things like that to turn out the window, candy wrappers and... Uh, uh, what not. And, you know, I don't quite uh, remember the translation, but I do remember that uh, that dialect of Earth Boy went something like this. That was a statement of, we think you're kind of neat. We think you're kind of interesting. Um, you know, we like you. That was basically what we were trying to say by throwing... Uh, this garbage on our front uh, front porch there, front uh, front yard. So, so that's a hell of a thing. That's a hell of a thing, man. You uh, you remember those cars, the H body from General Motors? What else did they have? What was the Cadillac built on? I suppose uh, I don't know if Cadillac had one or not. They may have passed on that one. What year are we talking about? 86? Hmm. I can't see it. I can't see it, Captain. Are you watching the Orville? I hope so. This uh, third season is uh, is excellent, in my opinion. It was wonderful to still see Norm MacDonald on there. Uh, He plays a gelatinous blob who does not really say all that much. Um... So if you were clever with editing, I think you could probably have Norm continue to voice the character uh, in absentia just by fact of uh, it would be a fun honor to him, in my opinion. I like to think he's out there with Seth MacFarlane. And uh, and, and the girl, I can't remember her name. Uh, she was on Friday Night Lights. Uh, something Pilecki, I believe. Um yeah yeah great show check it out man you might like it you might find out that you like it 
you might say, by golly, that's a piece of something I'd like to try again. Feed Ziggy at the moment. He doesn't really have any comments on Marvel uh, Comics. I, I think it will be good uh, when that industry you know, finishes dying because the movies are trash, you know, total lack of culture, just, uh, I don't like them at all, you know, I, I, I've never, uh, watched past the first couple, the, I saw the Iron Man ones, but it just seems like this whole, uh, Disney grindhouse of meaningless, uh, it's 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 sad, you know. I, I I don't think I don't think anyone will look back on them with uh, much more of uh, maybe a, a sense of of embarrassment that they were hoodwinked into uh, taking part in in this profit operation by uh, by Disney. I mean, you can't blame them. They're trying to make a buck, you know, and. Um, and the fact is, if, if you make the film really dumb, uh, it, it does better when you're playing it around the world. You can dub in any uh, language you want, and uh, there's explosions, and uh, people are fighting, and, you know, it's, it's just the whole lowest common denominator kind of deal. So, I... Uh, I hope to God you're not investing your life savings into um, one of those dolls that all the the remaining stores, the, the remaining youth retail, uh, to my understanding, has been narrowed down to, to some type of little plastic collectibles that people leave in the box. And, and of course, I know more than I'm letting on because Funimation was a, a huge part of the success of that company and... Uh, of that toy line. But I just think there's nothing more uh, inane than collecting these toys and leaving them in the box. and Just the whole deal, you know. It's a sick commercial culture. It's, it's just about money. And religious zealots. Gosh, I, I'm so tired of the religious zealots. You know, this whole... Uh, intersectionalism you know the uh, the the, let's let's pit uh, men against uh, women let's pit people of different ethnic backgrounds and histories against each other Um, in fact let's not even leave it there let's let's keep making it more confusing let's let's have like 25 different types of sexuality that can all step on each other's feelings and and so what you have is a circular firing squad, and uh, the only way to explain it is by looking at what Nietzsche said would happen to man after uh, God was dead. The, the religious impulse would be adopted into some other form. And all of this stuff is, uh, is religious right down to the... Uh, the self-flagellation of 
setting up the rules of a society in such a way that you would have nothing but a circular firing squad. Uh, the you know the only possible solution when you divide people into so many different uh, types of being and, and rights groups and uh, matrices of, of who's got power over who and uh, you know you, then you then you start arguing against competence. You don't even want to have uh, people earn jobs because they're the most talented. You you want it to be uh, you know what do they call it equity, which sounds like a good word and sometimes equity is a good thing but when you don't want equity is when you're hiring anybody to do anything uh, the person that's the best at something is 10 times better than the person that's good enough and uh, it, it just doesn't even scale uh, in a linear fashion so you know these marvel movies I think have something to do with all of this. I think they they represent the uh, perhaps the the triumph of commercialism above all else, um, and as a religion combined with sort of this idea that uh, nobody has to be mommy or daddy, nobody has to be the grown up in the room, and uh, any hard decisions that come up, you. You just say, well, I approve of that because uh, there's not any one truth that's any better than any other truth. And who am I to say what uh, thoughts you have in your head? So, you know, why would I get in the way of you living uh, your life? Well, you know, the answer is we all live in the public commons. And so we all own our share of the public commons. So therefore... uh, you can't have somebody violating that. And um, I hope you will uh, take my advice and uh, skip the Marvel movies. While you're at it, uh, skip all of Star Wars as well. Do you remember when Disney first bought Star Wars? They were in the uh, little Ewok village diorama in front of Star Tours. And uh, they were on a stage, and they had Darth Vader come out, and he started breaking it. And then all the uh, stormtroopers around him were sort of uh, joined in. You know, it was it was one of those uh, Janet Jackson uh, videos. <laughs> that's probably a pretty dated uh, example. What, what's what's a newer one that's the same style? Uh, bouncy. There's this uh, person called Beyonce, and uh, then um, I guess that's about it, you know. Uh, shout out to some of my favorite YouTubers: Zero Page Homebrew, uh, Mark. They're up in your neck of the woods, up there in Portland somewhere, Canada, one of those places, and uh, PQ River. You might uh, you might enjoy these videos I watched uh, by the Craftsman, C R A F M A N. I would uh, recommend you enjoy that. Eddie, I uh, would have to recommend to you my favorite science show, which is a uh, a series by PBS 
called Space Time. Space Time. Tonight. On Space Time. Sir, you can't be serious. Nobody wants raspberries. It's strawberries they want. Strawberry scones forever. And scene. Back to you, PQ. All else aside, a strawberry scone right now might actually go down pretty good. And by the way, Craftsman is very fine. Uh, for a few, uh, a little while back there, I thought he was going to go away on us. But yeah, he's he, he's very uh, creative and calming in a certain way. Although, yes, yeah, so you got to point out that the people, certain people might not be able constitutionally to comprehend what's going on there with craftsmen, but with his steady crafting and all that. But uh, I am on board with what I, I wish I could do that kind of thing in three dimensions with all the. I, my creativity tends to be limited to a very flat two-dimensional oh boy something is like maybe one thing sticking up and that's like very innovative i'm not uh, just uh, trying to paint figures and things like that uh, turns into a total disaster take my word for it i really uh maybe it has something to do with my eyesight but that's that that's one of the PQ River present limitations that uh, perhaps someday we will transcend. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, all that transcending and stuff. It's just you just jump and you do it, and it's it's an amazing thing when you do that. Uh, yeah, uh, and and the Marvel Mystery Oil I remember. And uh, once you started talking about the Marvel Mystery Oil, I knew we were going off into the incredible true facts of space. And indeed, Shed took us through some yeah uh, uh, interesting and uh, truths and. I don't know anymore. This this last few years, the ups and downs and the sidewayses and everything, uh, that that any of us are still standing at all. We're this. We're 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 going places. Let me. T I <laughs> I don't know where, but we're still going. Anyhow, uh, yeah. Uh, you talk about uh, a strange place in one's consciousness but uh, that's for a future overnight scape central i don't think uh that uh, that has anything to do with the hulk and spider-man and and the fantastic four and jack you know marvel comics uh, at the very 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 beginning of things i mean they're really i mean you want to people talk about stan lee and uh, marvel comics for the bulk, uh, I mean, now maybe it's this corporate entity, but it was uh, run by a guy named uh, Martin Goodman, who it's just that he slapped out magazines. I don't think that he had a great deal of artistic consideration uh, in that original golden age of comics, where uh, you know DC or what we call DC today was creating. All of their iconic Green Lantern, Batman, Superman, uh, 
all Flash, Wonder Woman, while all that was going on. Marvel kind of chugged along with a few heroes that came and went and changed. There was the Human Torch initially uh, and Submariner by the great Bill Everett. And, of course, the Human Torch was done by a gentleman named Carl Burgos, who, like many people, uh, you don't, when you work for hire, uh, no matter what somebody tells you with their mouth, if you don't get it on paper, notarized and official, what somebody tells you, as an, especially back then, comic book artists were the guys who couldn't get work anywhere else in art. And I think to a certain degree that's probably t- uh, true to this day, but it's become an elevated thing. I mean, to draw comics, you had to be workmanlike, accurate, and be able to churn out a lot of pages every month. And that's what the successful guys did. I mean, some of those guys did, did 50, 70 pages a month, just do, 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 do. And no, you don't make very much, but you make a lot of pages, and you do okay, and you keep going. And I mean, guys like Jack Kirby... Uh, No, he was not probably paid what he was worth as an artist. But compared with his contemporaries, he was doing pretty all right. And if anybody, I mean, he at one time owned his own comic company and made decisions over who owned what and whether they were going to even put people's names on their own work or put their name on other people's work. So uh, he understood all that. Uh, So he vent voluntarily into this thing and uh, whatever he didn't get on paper he didn't get on paper and I think he wasn't that bitter about he was bitter about other things and promises made and uh, his credit seemed to be more not the money the credit seemed to be far more what Jack Kirby was about uh, I think he was more uh, people came and and his wife it, now she it was but and pushing for creators rights is I have nothing against that I think everybody who is creative should understand at the very least what they're getting into and what they're signing away so um, but uh, to me you know, okay, continuing the story, Marvin Goodman, uh, Martin rather, did uh, you know his superhero books, and there was a Marvel Comics, which is the namesake for all the rest, uh, that became Marvel Mystery Comics, and this was where uh, pretty much Human Torch and Namor, the Submariners sagas, would uh, take place, and these books even in comparison with their uh, contemporaries, uh, books by companies, even like Centaur, much less DC quality, uh, MLJ when they were making superhero books. These Marvel comics, they're okay. Uh, You know, the Simon and Kirby Captain Americas are interesting, but even they, uh, sit down and read some. Let me know what you think. I, for my tastes... Uh, I'll I'll stick with uh, when it comes to golden age quality and DC 
are probably, uh, although I have a taste for the really cheesy early platinum age, uh, like Centaur and all that, and early MLJ, but that's a whole other story of cornball antics. We're talking about Marvel Comics here. And uh, then in the 50s, whatever was the craze at the time, romance comics, Martin Goodman would tell his editor, Stan Lee, I want a whole bunch of romance comics, and they would just they'd have 20 romance books coming out every month or 20 horror books or more. Uh, Marvel was the company that flooded the newsstands with the genres that were uh, popular. And before the 1960s, superhero books kind of they were in a big vogue in the early 40s they came back a couple times in the 50s for brief periods of time but other types of comics were far sold better i mean the disney comics ubiquitously sold better uh and uh, all those dell and gold key comics the harvey comics when i was a kid there was just this plethora of like humor comics and even i read them they were fun so what do you do you read them and uh, it was a comic book you know comic comical uh, light-hearted i mean, now they're kind of grimmick uh, grimmick books yeah that's what they ought to call them and then and manga is a whole other thing which you know some of them are funny and some of them are grim and some of them are about golf oh yeah, manga that's even i don't know probably 10% of what's gone on and goes on in that whole genre. I mean, what we get with the just the heroic ones and the ones that fit genres that Americans can identify with, I couldn't possibly keep up with. And uh, you know, but Marvel. And, and and to address what Chad was talking about with that the, they codified everything in such a it, it, I, I'm not as dead set against the Marvel movies, uh, although Doctor Strange was pretty horrific. The special effects, the new one, the special effects were kind of fun, but the dialogue and everything, uh, the acting, uh, and all the big, you know, the, the Avengers ones that I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's entertaining him. And it's just mindless, you know, like the the Mandalorian and everything. This isn't anything. And if you want something meaty to sink your teeth into, this is not it. This is just shut off your brain. Ah ha ha ha. And yeah, the, on that level, uh, I'm not gonna. There's a lot of stuff I can like dismiss. I would rather watch the Marvel movies than the DC movies, more or less, by and large. But you know. Uh, taste is not what we're here for and and marvel comics oh the the, the marvel heroes oh yeah that was a that was a good one little burpy pq ribber um the marvel heroes uh like when i was a kid the hulk i don't just you know i guess you identify with the hulk i could still identify with the hulk uh it's just a tragic uh, a story it's doc bruce banner uh pelted by gamma rays and now he's like turning back and forth to this uncontrollable just uh temper tantrum yeah that's a, oh, oh. 
Uh, if, if it all were so simple and, and then you can blame the big Hulk over there and be the little innocent Dr. Bruce Banner but even that wasn't the intention uh, just playing that Jekyll Hyde uh, in the Atomic Age story was so delicious to and, and me there was the artist who drew Herb Trimpey Oh, there's such visions. I mean, yes, I grew up and Jack Kirby was ubiquitous, but there was something about that Herb Trimpey Hulk of my youth. Oh, and the Silver Surfer with his just, oh, now it's it's kind of mawkish with the, his tragedy and all that. But at the time, it read so well that, that he had, had to become the herald to the great destroyer of the universe, Galactus, and spent his existence finding planets for the planet devourer to destroy. Oh, it just... And the imaginations that pulled all this together, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, primarily in the 1960s, built what we keep recapitulating i mean uh in a while i'll uh, make some comments i've been reading um 1997 marvel comics uh i i have through the realms of obtaining i have theoretically every marvel comic from between 2007 1997 and 2009 by year in folders and then in those folders by month and I started at the beginning in 1997 and yeah I think I just finished April and, and I've been chugging away at this for a while there's, there's a lot of comics but uh, I, I'll, I'll do a little uh, babbling about that but let's uh, get on board with what Mr. Frank Edward Nora eh, is bringing to our table here I probably first encountered the Marvel Comics characters probably on cartoons on TV. Wasn't there a Fantastic Four cartoon where uh, the Human Torch was deemed uh, too dangerous for children to see? Uh, so they didn't want kids lighting things on fire, so they replaced him with some like a crappy robot or something. Remember that? But uh, yeah, there was a lot of the thing about Marvel Comics is there's many different aspects of it. Of course, there's the comic books, which is sort of where it all came from. But then there's television, really so much on television, cartoons, and then the live-action shows. I mean, the Hulk was huge in, in the 70s. There was a Spider-Man live-action TV series. Um, this is before, of course, recent years. Um, and then there's, of course, toys. Uh, so many toys. I remember getting some of those early, uh, was it the, um, not Mego, but whatever, that act, those action figures that actually had clothes on. Those were amazing, the Human Torch and the Thing and, and Iron Man. And I think that you know, between the TV and the toys and the comics, my young childhood, I was very aware of these characters. I, I remember uh, somehow, <laughs> one out of millions of memories, going to play in my friend's backyard and they're like, we're playing Marvel Comics. Who do you want to be? I'm like, I'm going to be Iron Man. And I, I, I just remember he had, uh, like, energy pulses that could come out of his, like, the palm of his hand. And they're like, yeah, that's a good one, Iron Man. And I do think that the pure uh, 
look of the characters, the name and the look, and especially the color scheme, really foundational to the sort of becoming very involved and interested in these characters. My brother, um, my brother was also into this, but he talked about a similar phenomenon related to the NFL, the football teams, and how each team with its color scheme and almost a similar way, uh, humans wearing colorful costumes, you know, with, with a particular color scheme, um, really, especially for the child mind and perhaps the adult mind as well, is, is really super powerful, right? For some reason, uh, people wearing colorful costumes of particular color schemes um, and having certain identities, like something simple. Here's his name, Iron Man. He's like, uh, he has like red and yellow armor on. And it's like a suit, and, and it lets him fly, and, and he can shoot energy beams out of the palm of his hand, you know. Like, if you, if you, like that's kind of all you need to know, you know what I mean? The deeper stories, uh, you know, like, are, are not necessarily as important. I remember, you know, my, the early years with these, uh, um, you know, getting comic books super randomly. Um, the spinner rack is known as a sort of an iconic memory for people when before comic book stores were around it was more um, at a drugstore a variety store a supermarket there would be a spinner rack a metal a metal rack where there would just be comics for sale and they were well, I don't know how cheap they were I mean they were like 15 cents 20 cents 25 cents 35 cents but you know considering inflation uh, it wasn't at like 10 cents today you know um, but kids would just randomly pick up a comic. They weren't necessarily getting every issue of every comic. They were just getting random comics, the cover that looked good to them. So I remember getting a few comics like that and just really loving them. I've, we talk about this so much on my show and here in the Central. You know, when I was a kid in the 70s and in the 80s, you know, an adolescent, um, you know, you, at home you didn't have a lot of entertainment options, right? So... A comic book was something that was super important. You could read it over and over again. And you would because there was usually nothing good on television to watch. And you've already read all your other books and comic books so many times. You have a new comic. You'll just, you'll just read it over and over again and sort of obsess on it and like read every page and all the, the letters and Stan Lee, Excelsior, True Believers, and, and everything else. Um, that's another aspect of it, of course, is the, the kind of... Uh, Stan Lee is sort of almost like a wrestling promoter, you know, sort of saying how great Marvel is and, and, and you sort of taking that, you know, and we see this happen so many times, how the, you know, a broad theory that the, the, the carnival people, the carnies, and their kind of promotional step right up, see the world's most amazing miniature man or whatever the hell it is, you know, um, sort of bled into or became kind of the the, the, the uh, professional wrestling culture where they took what what had been an actual sport and turned it into this weird, like, cartoonish sort of... And wrestling, of course, is very much like superheroes, people dressed up in colorful costumes, having fights, and there's all this promotion and, and, and hype and things. Um, that this generally seems to be, for some reason, very powerful to the child's mind. And, you know... At one point, comic books were more aimed at children, and uh, 
you know, I know one of the big things is that both that their comics being aimed at adults now, at least people who have some people who have memories of reading the comics as a kid. But I think now, I mean, we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves in a narrative here, but it seemed to be most most healthy as as a uh, as a medium when it was just aimed mostly at kids or, or adolescents. But anyway, that's all this said. Obviously, Marvel Comics is specifically taps into very powerful um, aspects of human cognition, child development, or, or the child's mind, the adult mind. Um, and I do think it's it's a similar to professional sports, which obviously is appealing to children and to and to adults. Um, teams fighting, right? Characters fighting, colorful costumes. I mean, this was sort of if you. I mean, you can sort of go back to uh, ancient times. You know, the, the the mythologies of the gods and the heroes. I mean, it's you know, one that comes to mind is of course uh, Journey to the West, about the the Monkey King from China, with the individual characters with kind of superpowers, and um, the Monkey King himself has this uh, this rod that can shrink. He sticks it inside his ear, then it becomes this huge, and he can beat up the gods with it, right? Anyway, so that was my my early experience was through TV toys and um, <clears throat> and the occasional comic book, and then in uh, in July 1984, my brother and I really kind of had this epiphany and got back into comic books in a big way. And in fact, I have this incredible website here, Mike'sAmazingWorld.com, that shows. You can choose a month, and it'll show all the comics that were for sale that month. So I have it uh, filtered to Marvel Comics here. I'm going to take a look at it. Um, But anyway, uh, through the 80s, I was still into comics, and I really am really still quite fond of all the characters, and I really became very interested in the history of all of it and learning about all the characters. And I think in the 90s, there was... uh, I definitely was still interested in comics, Marvel Comics among them. We were we were sort of considered Marvel zombies back in the day because we we only we we really focused on Marvel comics. Though I think I probably would have a bit more of an affinity for the DC comics, but I kind of they didn't really rub off on me the, the same way back when I was you know like sixteen when this all happened. Um, of course, the uh, um, the comic book store that we went to in in Somerville, New Jersey. I just went and uh, revisited the same street it was on. The guy, Alex, that ran the store is still working in a store there. And I talked to him uh, we, like a, t- a week or two ago. And uh, as I've been talking about on the show. Anyway, um, we had this big epiphany when, you know, like the X-Men were the thing we were really into was the X-Men. And uh, we're like, Alex, you think Storm's going to get her powers back? He's like, well, I think X-Men is shit. And that kind of opened our eyes to there were so many better comics, especially back then, independent comics and underground comics. That sort of opened our eyes to beyond the world of Marvel, you know. But we would buy every Marvel comic, even if it was horrible, because we just had to. I don't know where we got all this money. As that at that point they were let me see how much they were back then. <laughs> a dollar, really? No, come on. Were they a dollar back then? Oh, like 60, 60 cents. Okay, I think I think the one I looked at was a dollar because it was a double size issue. So yeah, sixty cents was the the in in eighty four. But yeah, the nineties 
had some good stuff. I remember like Generation X was a sort of a revamped, uh, a new young mutant team distinct from the new mutants, which I was really into. Um, I think during the decade of the 90s, I, I kind of started getting out of comics. And I kind of, I've always really been, I always would, I always like going to the comic shop and buying, I still do to this day, buy the previews, which is uh, this big phone book sized uh, catalog of all the comics coming out two months hence. So I'm still interested in it, even though Marvel and DC have pulled out of that publication. They have their own publications. And those are the ones I find the least interesting today. I feel like I've really kind of tuned out. I still try to keep, dip my toe in occasionally. I've kind of tuned out to the, the world of Marvel Comics these days. Um, then, of course, right, we have the Disney takeover, because Marvel Comics was, was on its last legs at some point in the 80s or 90s. Eventually, Disney bought the company, and created the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the TV universe. I don't know. I think some of the shows on TV, the TV shows were in the cinematic universe and some weren't. But anyway, this sort of be careful what you wish for, you just might get it moment. Um, all growing up, we would have loved to have seen these movies with multiple superheroes, but back in the day, in the, in the, say in the 80s or even in the, into the 90s, Doing the special effects just for one superhero was so expensive. Usually there was just one superhero and one villain in these movies. Um, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe allowed to have dozens of characters with different powers. Obviously huge computer graphics um, expenses, but um, they've been able to do it. As much as I've been a fan for so long and, and uh, have always wanted something like this, I find the Marvel movies made by Disney to be horrendously written and uh, I mean I've seen I have not seen all of them I've seen probably most of them you know when I see any of these I would have zero interest in watching it again and you know I even watched the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness recently and I've watched you know some of the TV series you know the Loki TV series was okay I guess but in general it's uh, to me it's not good it's poorly written and um, the fact that so many people love it is a bit worrying to me I remember I had an epiphany at um, Comic-Con a few years ago, just, you know, all of these adults obsessing on these children's cartoon characters owned by giant mega corporations, to me felt a bit apocalyptic, right? I mean, yes, I have the love of these characters from my immersion and childhood uh, with these characters and stuff, but <laughs> I need to step, take a step back and, you know, it's not necessarily the healthiest form of entertainment for adults. I mean, and then, of course, just the, uh, beyond that, um, maybe a bigger issue is that, you know, I was one of the nerds that was into comics, and I was always, you know, I felt like I was part of this persecuted group as I became more of an adult that was into comic books. And what are you, an idiot? Do you like comics? That's children's crap. No, you don't understand. It's really good. Like, Nerds were able to sort of come up with these great excuses and great, you know, defenses of the comic world. But most people were were just looked down on it. So that was kind of cool being part of And I know there's been many articles about this phenomenon, you know, that, um, you know, nerds are bitter because their, their exclusive world was co-opted by the, the regular people. But that really is what happened, right, 
the people who wouldn't have been caught dead watching a comic book movie or reading comic books now it's like become completely mainstream and that's what's so horrifying about it you know the the kind of you know if you're sort of nerdy you know like you know it's not just because you like watching people wearing tight costumes punch each other there's like so much more but i think that maybe the general populace like the jocks and the cheerleaders that are now like super into comic book movies maybe just because they like watching people with tight costumes punching each other so yeah I feel like uh, <coughs> the characters are uh, the whole thing is a bit horrific but anyway any way we can get it I, 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 I just had to jump in here because I've got this, these notes these notes let's start from the beginning here Mr. Nora and and company. Um, I know the, the TV the versions and movie versions of comic books, with a very few exceptions, just I, and even those, I would rather sit and read the comics myself. I just, you know, like a good book, they're making a movie of it. I would rather sit and read the book again or listen to an audiobook version of it the idea that somebody is going to make like a two three hour thing out of whatever property that i like it, it, it the disappointments endlessly throughout my um life just i i have no such expectations i mean there was when i was real young and i've seen them again and they're intriguing in that uh, that the Merry Marvel Marching Society comics which are like there's a Submariner there's Captain America there's Iron Man there's Hulk uh, Thor uh, and they're little short serial like they there's stories that are cut into four or eight parts I think and uh, they're taken right out of the comics literally I mean they some of them they cut the actual panels out and just made them move a little the animation in these if you get to see them there's some on YouTube it, it isn't about the animation they're you get some of the artworks by Kirby and the the Don Heck, and you can recognize it. Um, I got a real kick out of those back then and now. Although, like I say, it it's one of those I think you had to be there if you're coming in cold off of reading modern uh, Marvel comics. It's gonna look pretty awkward. And the Spider-Man uh, cartoons of the '60s. Were, were pretty fun with that great I mean the soundtrack music alone but those were pretty fun and some of them were sort of based on the comic books I mean then they there was a Doctor Strange and the Hulk I know a lot of people though that Hulk TV show is iconic and beloved and I, I Bill Bixby was one of my favorite actors but that Hulk series was just too formulaic and although it is interesting America at one time was like that you could drift from town to town change your name in every town and somebody would hire you and you'd get a job you could do that there's shows like Kung Fu The Fugitive there were a bunch that used that trope uh, now you can <laughs> the drifter is a, a lost 
concept uh, and just I don't know it, 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 it did not have the depth of the Hulk character and it didn't have all the cool iconic villains that the Hulk had like the abomination and my favorite back when I was a kid the leader who had also been exposed to gamma rays but it affected his brain and his head was elongated and he had this giant brain oh it was just so cool Stan Lee and his uh, cohorts just Oh, and I forgot to mention Stan Lee. The reason he was there was he was Martin Goodman's nephew. Just to be clear about how everything fell into place. And Frank is right. Collecting wasn't the thing. Uh, You got them and you read them and you passed them around. And most people didn't keep them. And at a certain point, I wound up with my cousin's collections and even those I was trading to a certain degree. I mean, I kept all the, you know, I knew certain books were worth stuff. So those weren't part of what I traded. But yeah, I wheeled and dealed. And for me, it was about reading the things. And I think to this day, well, now to this day, it is. It's 100% reading the things. And um, that site that he mentioned, Mike's Amazing World. I've had some back and forth with Mike. Uh, his goal in life is to own, and he's frighteningly close. He wants to own every DC comic book up to, I think, 1990 or something. And uh, I, he was, uh, the last time I was in communication with him, he was in a high percentile. Uh, that the only ones that he did not own were the really, really super rare and or super expensive, super duper expensive ones. Uh, God, can you imagine having a goal like that? When, and me, I've, you know, I've, I've even got all those weird chronologies like these Marvel ones, but DC in the Golden Age, but that's a whole other... Uh, let's, uh, Frank, Frank is about to uh, shift focus here to the newsstand, I think, so, and, and I like this feature on Mike's site. Let's go back to July 1984, shall we? An issue uh, called uh, Alpha Flight Number 12. This is really the comic book that got us back into... Um, Comics in a Big Way by John Byrne and uh, the cover and one shall surely die and it shows Alpha Flight there uh, Shaman, Aurora, Guardian, North Star, Puck, Snowbird and Sasquatch one shall surely die <coughs> Guardian was the one that died by the way Uh, spoiler alert, but yeah, I mean, if you have it, it's, that was 84, it's a long time ago now. Um, yeah, April, so it, no, wait, it was April 17th, 84, was the on sale date. Okay. Really? That's weird. Covered, oh, the cover date was ju- July. Oh, so they did that thing where they, they released them months early. Um, but this was essentially two two super teams that we weren't familiar with at all, any of these heroes. Uh, it was uh, Alpha Flight versus Omega Flight, and it was just a, such a great issue. Um, it really touched on, I think, the um, the importance of the artist and the look of the characters, um, and cool like teams fighting each other. This was this got us into it in a big way. So back then, 
there were in general there was just one of the big comics like Fantastic Four, Hulk, Iron Man. There was one per month, and that was it. And yes, there were some exceptions. There were annuals, and there were miniseries. But those are more the exception to the rule. Um, it was much easier to keep up with. And these series just kept going and going. They started, but then they just kept going. In recent years, it has been this kind of, to me, a despicable marketing practice of... Um, canceling these series like you might have Iron Man which at this point was already up to 184 Iron Man number 800 and then they'll cancel it and then they'll have Iron Man number the new Iron Man number one and because the certain kind of the equivalent of whales in the video game scene um, everyone wants to get issue one you know and they issue one sells better so now these days, I don't think any comics get past like 15 or 20. Then they cancel them and they start them over again with another number one. And each number one then comes with like 20 or 30 variant covers. And the, the true believers have to buy every single one. It really taps into, I think, a, a kind of an obsession, almost a mental illness of obsessive collecting and taking advantage of people like that. Um, you know, but I mean for-profit businesses unfortunately without government regulation are, are going to take advantage of the mentally ill to make money <laughs> you know and I think looking at for example the uh, the manga world in, in Japan they gen each manga generally uh, are much easier to follow like Naruto is by one creator and it has a sequence of stories one sequence of stories and then by one creator, right? And then it ends, right? In the case of Naruto, there was... Then it was... Uh, the second sequel series was Naruto Shippuden. But in, in general, this, it's much more... Like, Spider-Man, for example, there's hundreds of Spider-Man series of comic books. All different reboots and different dimensions, and it's just different Spider-Man it becomes much harder to uh, figure out, you know, all the reboots and reinventions, everything else. But back here, it was actually kind of um, easier to understand. E each calendar month, one issue would come back. Uh, that is, one issue would be released of each of these books. So let's look at the, the, date, the dated... Maybe I should just do... Uh, on sale date, okay. To be more accurate, we'll do the on sale date, yes. Um, hmm. Alright, so this is on sale in April 1984. Wow, a long time ago. Now, how long ago was that? 38 years ago, yes. What? What? Yeah, 38 years ago, Jesus. No, not 38, 36 years ago. No, thirty-eight years ago, please. All right, on sale in April nineteen eighty-four. Let's look at everything that was on sale from Marvel. We're going to focus on Marvel. All right, so here we go. <clears throat> Alphabetically speaking, uh, starting off with Alien Legion number two. This is interesting because at this point, Marvel had branched out and created a new imprint called Epic, Epic Comics, which was for a bit more adult-oriented and more science fiction-oriented stuff. 
uh, I guess sort of based on their Epic Illustrated, which was their kind of heavy metal magazine type of a publication, though not as dirty probably as heavy metal. Um, Alien Legion, I kind of remember. It's about alien soldiers. Then we have Alpha Flight number 12, which we mentioned. Amazing Spider-Man 254. So I think, so there's a few Spider-Man books, uh, but this was, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 254, and he already had the black costume. This was right around the time, I think, that he got the black costume in The Secret Wars. Um, The Mighty Avengers 245, and this looks like it would have been the only Avengers title of the entire month. Let's see what's going on with the Avengers here. They're fighting a villain called Oblivion. Captain America 295, right? Fighting the Sisters of Sin. And again, that's the only Captain America book of the whole month. Conan the Barbarian, number 160. That was a big series. They were doing Conan the Barbarian stuff for a long time. Daredevil, number 209. Hey, hey, hey. Good uh, good, uh, number there. And then Dazzler. Dazzler had her... uh, her own series, number 33. Uh, she was sort of the disco mutant that could have display flashes of light. I don't know how good that was for fighting other supervillains. In this issue, she's fighting the chiller. And then uh, the new Defenders. Um, I remember this book, number 133. This is uh, where Angel, Valkyrie, and uh, was it Gargoyle and Beast and maybe Silver Surfer had a team. Uh, and then we have another epic comic, Dreadstar number 11. That was a good one, too, uh, about this uh, space adventurer named Vance Dreadstar. And then here is Epic Illustrated number 24. Um, again, this is their kind of take on a, a, more, a little more adult-oriented uh, sci-fi magazine. Oh, look, Roger Zelazny's The Game of Blood and Dust. Nice. And there is a woman in a bikini on the cover. <coughs> so, it's some sort of weird Nazi alien. <laughs> Fantastic Four. This, this was another comic that my brother and I, we, one of us bought the uh, Alpha Flight, and one of us bought Fantastic Four, number 268, The Mask of Doom. I guess Dr. Doom's mask like came to life and killed everyone. Yeah, and this this Fantastic Four also had John Byrne artwork, and I really I think it's it's important to point out that um, it was <coughs> it was his artwork that really drew us in. Um, he had a very specific way of drawing these characters that was so visually pleasing, and really back then I think the artist that was on a book was super important. I don't even I, I'm so out of touch with that world now. I don't even know if there's anything like that anymore like an artist is particularly does it even matter or are there different writers and artists on every single issue I wouldn't even know there doesn't seem to be any consistency anymore at least from my perspective Um, but also I want to say the production method of the comics back then had a very visually pleasing very warm a kind of feel to it right this is before digital and there was a point when it, the look of comics changed. But this was still a point where they're still using newsprint, right? So it's kind of a gray flecked paper at some level. Um, it starts with pencils, right? They're, they do the pages 
larger than the final reproduction size. And then an inker inks the pages, right? And then that is sent to um, a colorist who does not, I don't believe at this point, does not like take paint or markers and colors it, but actually I believe, because I'm not intimately familiar with this, but I think um, makes a coloring guide, right? And then actual strippers that I did to see this happen. I was in the printing industry starting in 1990 and saw this... uh, incredible um, process uh, known as stripping to um, create colors without having to um, go through a process of color separation, right? Normally, if you had, you could very, very much have a an original that was color, in color, like painted, and you could reproduce that. But the cost of creating color separations was a lot higher than this other method where they could take the, the inked version, right, which then they would um, kind of photograph onto a, uh, you know, a film, a clear piece of film um, as a negative or positive or whatever. And uh, they would then uh, cut what, how to describe it, uh, you, would, you would have, uh, you know, printing with CMYK, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, right? So you would choose your dot angles. For and then the the screen, you know the, the the number of dots per inch on the screen, and you would uh, identify each color. So a color might be thirty percent magenta, ninety percent yellow, ten percent cyan, right? So what someone would have to do, they would literally have to cut out uh, what they call ruby lith, right? So that they, they would have that screen. However, they did it, cut out actually with an exacto knife each section of the costumes of the characters and up to four times for the cyan, magenta, yellow, and black plate um, to, to reproduce that color. So it's just essentially people cutting and then exposing and re-imaging a film and then eventually you would get to, you would have four uh, negatives of the page with the proper percentage, dot percentage uh, in each area for the colors. I think that's how it happened. So it was actually, sounds very labor intensive, but apparently it was cheaper than doing color separations. But all of that combined went and created a look and a feel that was very engaging. It was in a super engaging look. And I remember they sort of changed, they, they had something called flexography where they were printing on almost like a coated stock and it was very, almost like neon bright colors. And I think at some point they did go start with digital coloring, which, of course, obviously, that's going to be a lot cheaper. But um, it, it changes the feel. So back then, it was this was still that old style that really, I think, kind of drew you in. So there's a lot going on in 84 that became that it was very sort of uh, made it much more addictive and interesting, I think, to be into comics. Anyway, let's keep going here. Uh, Indiana Jones, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number 19. Vaguely remember that. I don't know if I got that comic. Cause the, so the thing is, some of these comics are in the Marvel Universe and some aren't, right? So the Indiana Jones stuff is not in the Marvel Universe. Right? Then you have G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 25. This was more the, uh, the 80s G.I. Joe the smaller action figures, not like the ones I had. 
And this was, I think, a long-running comic. But again, I don't think this was in the Marvel Universe. Incredible Hulk 297. You see, books back then would last for hundreds and hundreds of issues. And this was the only Hulk, Hulk comic of the whole month. So it really became a thing. It's like now I'm sure there's like 15 different Hulk titles. or You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. The, the one thing I can never get, looking at today's, like every week today in today's world, hundreds of new comics come out every week. Yeah, and we're not even close to the peak of how many comics were coming out every week. But yeah, the, the multiples, the multiples are what is crazy. And what's even crazier, okay, like a comic book like The Incredible Hulk back then, which was on issue 297. Now, up until issue, I think it's 102, the magazine was called Tales to Astonish. Uh, Hulk, at 102 and on, it was only Hulk. Uh, from about Tales to Astonish, issue 50-something, 60 maybe, up to the 101, half of the book was the Hulk. The Hulk shared that book uh, mostly with the Submariner, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not over on Mike's Amazing World of Comics. I am remembering off of what's left of my broken brain there. But uh, And before issue 50, we're going back to when Martin Goodman was flooding the uh, market with science fiction comics when horror failed in the late 50s when they had the comics code they found that a certain kind of uh, science fiction comics uh, the great exponents of uh, Ditko and Kirby starting with uh, Marvel or, or starting their regular work that would lead to their superhero work which is quintessential of course uh, but yeah, and uh, I, I loved John Byrne. You mentioned John Byrne's Alpha Flight. I loved that run of the Fantastic Four. I listened to 200-something episodes of one of these uh, Index podcasts that uh, went over the Fantastic Four, the Fantasticast, and they finally they, they ended the series right before they were about to start the John Byrne issues. Those are really if you're a Marvel Comics guy, uh, those, for my dime, are Burns Peak. And I know some people, Alpha Flight, X-Men, I, I, I don't think they're bad. I would just read the Fantastic Four again long before I would read those others. And as far as there's an aspiration problem in today's uh, comic book artists uh and japan and manga is the perfect uh manga cons do it because it calls them i don't think they think there's a hope that it's such an accident that they become rich and famous you are talking about you are and there it isn't monthly it's weekly you have to put your pages out each and every week, week after week, and there's no breaks, there's no vacations, there's, you're, these guys work 80-hour weeks every week, 
And yeah, maybe there's special holidays. They take a day off or something, but then they just have to catch up. There's no break. Every week, Shonen whatever magazine comes out or whatever, all of these mag, and you got to have your chapter ready. And it, it's a different thing. Now everybody thinks they're going to be Todd McFarland or, and become a multi-million... The multi-millionaire comic book creator is such an anomaly and may have destroyed the art form as it was a low art and trying to elevate it I think suffocated it or something. I don't know. And the epic line, what differentiated it? Yes, it was a little less censored, but uh, the stuff was quote-unquote creator-owned was the key to that stuff. That was uh, right when they were starting to uh, accommodate that sort of thing in uh, the bigger comics. Yet somehow there's enough people buying them for them all to be maintained. And I think it is just people with money that have this addiction. You know, they have a job, so they have money, and they just spend hundreds of dollars every, every week on comic books. Anyway, um, then we have Iron Man number 184. What is this? He goes to California. Iron Man goes to California. California, here we come, if, if we're lucky. Hmm. I'm not really sure what that's all about. But yeah, the only Iron Man. I know I keep saying that, but it's like it's mind-boggling that you could have one a month. Kazar the Savage, number 33, kind of a Tarzan kind of guy. I don't think that was in the Marvel Universe. And then we have Marvel Age. I think a fairly short-lived... Um, it was a comic book-sized, but it was a magazine about Marvel Comics. So the cover here we have uh, looks like a <coughs> Bill Sienkiewicz rendition of the New Mutants, Wolfsbane, Magic, Sunspot, Magma, Moonstar, and Cannonball. See, I, I, I still know all these characters. And then in the upper left, they have um, Forbushman, the, the humorous hero with a with a with a pot, like a pan on his head or a pot on his head. Chris Claremont tells all about the new mutants and the X-Men, plus Sal Buscema, Starriers, Fred Hembeck, and more. So, I, I used to get Marvel Age. Marvel Fanfare, number 15. This was a weird one. I'm not really sure what this one was all about. It has a picture of the thing on the cover, Ben Grimm. It seemed to be almost like leftover stories and stuff. And then we have Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars, number four. Beneath 150 billion tons stands the Hulk, and he's not happy. So I remember, yeah, they, they were stuck under this huge mountain, and the Hulk was holding it up. And uh, Reed Richards was, like, insulting him. Because when the Hulk gets angry, he gets more powerful. So Reed Richards just kept coming up with more and more insults. You're a stupid idiot, Hulk. Yeah. Secret Wars. I mean, I kind of like Secret Wars, but it's kind of stupid. It's like this ultra-powerful being known as the Beyonder brings all of the superheroes to a planet to see them fight. I mean, Crisis on Infinite Earths on, in DC was much better uh, as a premise. So here we go. They're so Let's see. 
So there are multiple Spider-Man titles. Marvel Tales starring Spider-Man. This may have been a reprint of an older one. Bring back my goblin to me. Yeah. Oh, it's reprinted from Amazing Spider-Man number 27 in 1965. It's like a reprint series. For those that missed it the first time around. And then, of course, one that was very cool. Marvel Team-Up. Spider-Man and Star Fox. Yeah, Star Fox was one of the... uh, What was his group? The Eternals or something? He was sort of a godlike alien that could affect people's emotions. And there's Spider-Man with the the black uh, costume, which was a a symbiote that uh, he found in the Secret Wars. Eventually became Venom. That's kind of cool, though. The team-up. Two different characters. And then the New Mutants, number 18. This was great. This had the, the Bill Sienkiewicz years. He had a very cool, like dark abstract art style and here's uh, Danny Moonstar the Demon Bear Saga that's a good so I was really into the New (coughs) New Mutants back then and then you have Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man number 92 so I guess at least three Spider-Man titles sort of shades of things to come what is the answer yeah there was a there was a supervillain known as the answer kind of like the opposite of the Riddler and I guess Spider-Man was teaming up with the Black Cat at this point. And then Power Man and Iron Fist, number 107. Very long-lived uh, series. The Hammer of Judgment. Hello. Yep, thank you. Deliveries. Then you have Rom. You know, Rom Space Knight, which was based on a toy. And this was like a, a, a crossover with Alpha Flight. So you have uh, Marina, the uh, aquatic girl, and Snowbird, the, uh, the godlike uh, bird woman who, can, who, who, who can't leave Canada or else her energy is drained. And John Byrne, I guess, oh, he did the cover on this one. Rom crossing over with... So I guess Rom was in the Marvel Universe at one point, obviously. He's like a space knight, but he's based on a toy. So I don't think they own the rights to him anymore. Then we have Saga of Crystar, Crystal Warrior, number eight. I barely remember this one. It was kind of this dude made of crystal who was a warrior. I think it was sort of trying to be like a sword and sorcery kind of thing. I wasn't really that into that, I don't think. Then there is another Conan title, Savage Sword of Conan, number 101. So two Conan the Barbarian titles. And Star Wars, number 85. This, this is that their first uh, Star Wars series. The wrong place for hunted heroes is Hunter's World. And there's Lando, Han Solo, and Chewbacca. And then we have Tarzan of the Apes, number one. Number one in a two-issue limited series. That's, I think that's probably based on a... Was there a movie around that time? Then we had The Thing from the Fantastic Four had his own series, Sky Wars. He's on some sort of spaceship in the sky. And then we have Thor, the mighty Thor. This is the uh, Walt Simonson years, number 345, Thor number 345. Yeah, and again, a very distinctive artist that had a great run on this book. 
And then we have uh, the Uncanny X-Men trade paperback. That was, And then, of course, just X-Men. Uncanny X-Men. Um, there's Colossus fighting with some Black Tom, maybe, from uh, the Hellfire Club. But in the upper left, you see that the, the team was uh, Cyclops from the original X-Men, Storm, Wolverine, uh, I think uh, Kitty Pride has uh, Shadow Cat, um, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Rogue. So that was April, right? So I think it, you know, it was a very good time to get into the, the comics. Let's, let's go to the next month. Let's go to May and see see if there's anything interesting. Yeah, well, Wolverine is on the cover of Alpha Flight number 13 because he was part of that those Canadian experiments, sort of where he came from, I believe. So some ones that were new. Uh, Amazing High Adventure number one. I kind of remember that. I don't think that lasted very long. Two issues of Captain America, I guess, came out maybe because of the, the, the week's Conan the Barbarian and Conan the King. I guess that's another series. And uh, in, from Epic, we had Coyote number six. I kind of remember Coyote, like a Native American hero. Daredevil 210. Doctor Strange number 66. A couple Indiana Joneses. Call the Conqueror. <laughs> another. Maybe, I, maybe they own that one, but they don't own Conan. And here is Marvel Age showing... The Muppets. The Muppets come to Marvel. I guess they there was a Muppet series. Secret Wars number five. Uh, the team up Spider-Man and Moon Knight. And the Micronauts number 59. Another a toy, a line of toys that became a comic books. Is this the ending? The Micronauts number 59 and there shall come an ending. That's interesting, because those are sort of in limbo, right? These comic series that were based on toys and stuff. I don't think, I don't think Disney owns all that stuff. And here is up. This is the dawn of Power Pack. Wow, Power Pack was uh, these uh, these these four siblings that got gained alien powers from an alien, and. Uh, <clears throat> It was kind of stupid, but I remember reading it. I wonder if they're ever going to bring Power Pack back. <laughs> Sub, uh, Prince Namor, the Submariner, number one. Or I remember as a kid, was it Submariner or Submariner? Quest Probe, starring the Hulk. What was this, like a choose-your-own-adventure type thing? Yeah, Scott Adams' Marvel Comics limited series. There's all, there's all these, like, weird side projects and things. And, of course, US-1, number 11. This was about uh, truckers driving trucks, US-1. I think this was based on toys, too. <clears throat> like one of those Tyco toys, like with the... Something like that, the race, racing things. And then here we go. West Coast Avengers, number one. The... Uh, the team that had uh, the West Coast team headed by Hawkeye. I think Mockingbird was a member, and uh, who else? Wonder Man. This is who will answer 
Hawkeye's call to join the new team. I remember that. And then what if... What if Spider-Man's Uncle Ben had lived? Great. Some, why are there so many different comics? From Let's just go to one more month here and see. June 84. The Adventures of Kool-Aid Man, number two? What? <laughs> wow. Trying to see anything new here. Oh, Machine Man number one. He was like a he was like a robot superhero. Marvel fanfare once again. We had to buy all this stuff. Indiana Jones, Marvel Super Special, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That was probably around the time that movie came out. Yeah, and then Marvel Super Special number thirty one, The Last Starfighters. They were just uh, comic adaptations of movies. And then you had these annuals, Marvel Team-Up Annuals, Spider-Man and Alpha Flight. And they're fighting a giant pink cobra. Great. The New Mutants, I remember this one, Badlands and uh, Magma in this weird art style. Yeah. She was a girl who could shoot like lava from her hands or something, I don't know. Listen, when you say all this stuff out loud, it sounds kind of kind of childish. Epic Comics 6 from Sirius. And Spider-Man and Power Pack number 1. <clears throat> Produced in cooperation with the National Committee for Pre- Pre- Prevention of Child Abuse. What? Jeez. Let's see who else is in uh, West Coast Avengers. Oh, Tigra and Iron Man also joined. Okay. We'll do one more. We'll go to July. The cover date of a lot of those from April. Oh, yeah, the Demon was also a member of of the uh, Defenders. Was that the Demon? No, Gargoyle. I already mentioned Gargoyle. Doctor Who, number one. Wow, Doctor Who was a Marvel comic. There's uh, Fourth Doctor, Tom, uh, Tom Baker with uh, K9. I don't know if it was. I think it was probably. I don't know if it was into Doctor Who yet. It was probably early days of Doctor Who for me at that point. Fantastic Four Annual, <laughs> again the annuals where they made you buy an extra copy of some sort of shitty leftover story. Marvel Age. Here's Spider-Man with the black costume. Look out, world, here comes Star Comics. So this was now Marvel's big push. I remember this, to have um, children's comics. Sort of, uh, sort of say, returning comics to children. But these were more, like, kind of like, very childish. So it was Wally the Wizard, Royal Roy, Top Dog, Heathcliff, The Muppets, The Get-Along Gang, Fraggle Rock, The Ewoks, Planet Terry. I do remember that that whole thing oh Buckaroo Banzai comic yeah I guess Marvel Super Special was just a series of comics where each issue was just like a a movie that just came out Spider-Man and Nomad team up Nomad was like Captain America's uh, 
sidekick who had these metal discs he would throw at people. Didn't really seem... Like, once you threw the disc, how'd you get him back, you know? Listen, you really shouldn't apply logic to this stuff, all right? Anything else? August. I don't know if those kids' comics came out yet, but yeah, it was... uh, an Iceman limited series. I remember having to get that one too. Anyway, Marvel Comics obviously have gone through many different phases and stages, and um, I will. I always will have a fondness for for the characters and the and the comics, though I have a very uh, very a real love hate relationship with Marvel Comics uh, today, and uh, you know. And I will watch, again, the movies and stuff just because of my former fandom. But I'm in the same boat with Star Wars, you know, where I, ca- I have to watch all of the stuff that they produce, the live-action stuff at least. I can draw the line at the cartoons. Um, but it's, be- it's been torture for years now. I'm not quite as, as strict with uh, Marvel Comics as I am with Star Wars. But anyway, listen, pop culture, man. You know what I'm saying. Back to you, PQ. Yeah. Well, I still... I, I just... I, it's Captain Mar- I have not watched the Captain Marvel movie. I did like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, uh, both of them. They were just good and fun. And uh, it's, it's, what, like I say, it's, it's, as long as you go in there with the low expectations and they want for mindless entertainium, it, it, it could be good. It just could, maybe. Uh, yeah, too many people accumulate and don't even read the things. And I do the same thing, but I'm doing it in the name of stuff to be read later, not in the name of if I save this in this bag and this board, someday I will send my great-grandchildren to Harvard. I mean, they don't even have to have brains. I will have so much money from my huge, massive and virile comic book collection and all of these boxes over here. Yeah, exactly. It's just... Read them. Enjoy them. If it's a really good one, keep it. I mean, I've bought many a copy of the Cerebus series until I finally found it in um, digital form. And I still like the idea of owning a physical copy of all of it uh, and will probably refill out what I have left of my big, giant trade paperbacks. Oh, man. Um yeah, and, and all those licensed ones, yeah, they don't own ROM anymore, so they can't reprint anything with ROM. Uh, Cull was a lesser creation, but Robert E. Howard that they licensed. Uh, I don't know who owns all those anymore. Um, and those that Doctor Who comic was actually UK reprints that Marvel licensed. So, uh, no, the uh, 80s Marvel crew did not actually try to draw and write Doctor Who at that point. In fact, I don't think any American team has tried that ever, but I'm pretty sure on and off there are Doctor Who comics, as well as the 40 zillion novels and other uh, things that are available to the collector, especially in the UK with that. And with that, let's, let's, uh, let me take a minute here, because I, we, this is what I'm doing now among other wacky projects. Um, 
uh the let's see this is march 1997 and um world of tomorrow 2099 now 2099 was this attempt at a future version of a lot of the marvel universe i think jim shooter launched it and a lot of it is pretty good i've never really read through it but uh this is like really the tail end of that whole thing happening if i'm not mistaken and uh, yeah world of tomorrow issue eight and uh the world of tomorrow is indeed crumbling to ashes um amazing spider-man issue 422 yeah talking and yeah that one there it wasn't anything it started with amazing spider-man number one i think in 1962 and yeah 422 issues later in 1997 that's that's a lot of issues avengers okay now what was going on here is um in the earlier 90s a bunch of Marvel stars kind of I'm gonna put on the air conditioner here I hope that doesn't distract you too much but it's needed um, Marvel all their good guys ran off and formed image comics and then came the whole comics implosion of the mid 90s and uh, here in March of 1997 um, both Rob Lee Field Jim Lee and all of their friends are back at Marvel uh, doing books. I guess they got paid uh, a pretty good sum and uh, they relaunched the Avengers. Uh, this is volume two, number six. Uh, that there are also some other titles we will hit that uh, this, uh, I believe Avengers is a Jim Lee thing. These are pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's brain candy, but a good comic is a good comic. Um, cable issue 42. Now, Cable, uh, for those of you unfamiliar, is one of the X-Men side characters originally created by the uh, notorious Rob Leefield, who we'll be talking about more uh, in a moment. But uh, Cable 42 has him off in action and whatever. Captain America, Volume 2, Number 6. And yes, Rob Leefield has taken over the iconic um, Captain America book. And again, fun stuff. Uh, a little reimagining. I have nothing that vested. I'll read a female Captain America if you give me a good story and this was a good enough story I mean no I'm probably not going to run and read it again ever but in the read through uh, these uh, books that these image guys are doing uh, Rob Leefield doing the Captain America it's fine it's a nice clean read uh, Code of Honor issue 3 of 4 this is one of those deluxe painted uh, limited series it's told from a uh, policeman's point of view and has marvel superheroes uh, painted and rendered like uh, alex uh, alex ross started this with marvels and this is a continue of that type of comic uh daredevil 363 another uh, legacy book and he's daredevil all right and they're bringing back things from the 70s it's just uh, a uh comic book that they have to put out every month and they're trying real hard uh deadpool number four yeah uh i'm first making a deadpool connection i never really read stuff with him uh he's kind of a comedy over the top merc 
mercenary, I don't know. He, he can be fun, as long as they don't bog him down with too much exposition or dialogue. Uh, Electra number six, readable. I was never a big Electra fan. Electra was uh, Daredevil's girlfriend that was killed, and then they brought her back from the dead. Whenever they bring him back from the dead, like Phoenix and all the rest of them. Meh, fe, pui. Uh, moving right along, Excalibur, which is the British X-Men. Yeah, you want to talk about a lot of X-Men titles or related? Yeah, the, these are the British, British uh, X-Men. Fantastic Four, Volume 2, Number 6, Jim Lee. Uh, he's having fun with the Fantastic Four and relaunching it. Uh, like I say, this is just good fun comics generation x which is yet another new mutants new 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 mutants this is issue 26 and uh yeah a bunch of uh the charles xavier legacy rolling along ghost rider uh number 84 that, that spirit of vengeance and and god when i was the right age that the skull head and the black leather that's just great Great adolescent goodies. Iron Man Volume 2, Number 6, more relaunch stuff. Uh, is this Rob Leefield or Jim Lee? One of those guys. But uh, again, just good stuff. Journey into Mystery, 508. Now, Thor took over a comic book called Journey into Mystery and ran into it. But at this point, this book runs the stories of at this point in Marvel continuity, Asgard has ceased to exist and the gods are now mortals on Earth somehow and Journey into Mystery is telling us the saga of that. And uh, I think from what I'm reading here, any minute, Odin is about to become Odin again, but uh, we'll find out. There's a Juggernaut one-shot that came out. Uh, Marvel Adventures number one, which is kind of... a more for kids uh marvel superheroes book uh marvel valentine special that was kind of fun uh your marvel heroes uh having romantic tales uh uh professor xavier and the x-men number 18 which is again i think something for younger people uh, sensational spider-man number 15 another title of many spider titles silver surfer volume three number 127 cosmic adventures uh also uh silver surfer and weapon zero number one now this is a whole story it's a crossover with uh top cow comics i think but uh yeah weapon zero is one of these kind of gothy superheroes and they were doing crossovers like that okay now you got spectacular spider-man number 245 that's a 20-year run uh, that was the second regular running spider-man book spider-man number 79 that was the book that they uh todd mcfarlane launched uh spider-man uh, a book just a standalone called dead man's hand Spider-Man Hobgoblin Lives Miniseries, number three of three. And, of course, the Hobgoblin is one of those many spinoffs of the original Green Goblin of my youth. Then there's a bunch of licensed Star Trek books 
that uh, I am getting to the point. I was skimming through them. Now I'm sort of reading them, but Star Trek as comic books, I've yet to really feel that this is a good thing happening in my brain when I read them. And a lot of it is the artists seem to be stymied by having to draw likenesses and that same set. It, it's just, yeah, it, it's stodgy. The Incredible Hulk, Volume 2, number 452. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Uh, more Hulk stuff. Uh yeah, Hulk dying and coming back to life, and now there's two Hulks, and there's three Hulks, and now there's a pink Hulk and a blue Hulk. Well, this is before all that, but we're, we're heading in that direction rapidly by this point. The Punisher, oh yes, speaking of a spirit of vengeance, I was never a big Punisher fan, but he's readable. Uh, number 18, uh, he's like got amnesia and he isn't sure whether he's... And uh, next is the launch of, uh, I guess, at this point in Marvel continuity, all of the heroes are thought to be dead or gone or missing, and they need a new superhero group to step up and protect the world, and Thunderbolts is uh, the answer and I read issue one I I read issue one uh, Uncanny Origins uh, yes this is kind of a X-Men character origins this is issue eight and Nightcrawler is the uh, center Uncanny X-Men number 343 now that was the original X-Men book that started back in the 60s and took a sabbatical. But yeah, issue 343 in a series ongoing. Uh, Untold Legend of Captain Marvel. Yes, the uh, Captain Marvel from uh, Marvel 60s and 70s uh, that Jim Starling killed off. Uh, a three-issue miniseries. This is issue one. Until Tales of Spider-Man, which tells stories of Spider-Man uh, from the Silver Age era of Spider-Man. They were still messing with that continuity at that point. And these are kind of fun. And they bring back that. That's an era that I think this issue, I think, had the vulture yeah, it's just good fun and stupid. And Venom, Spider-Man's former costume, the symbiote, who is connected with a man named Eddie Brock, is on trial. And uh, issue two of that was read when I read through these books. And yeah, this is uh, this is comic books. PQ River, reading com. Can you imagine? But uh, that's the story up to now with uh, that comic book reading. And uh, let me put on my other hat. Oh, and here he is again. And we're going to tell you about next week's episode after I thank Chad Bowers, Frank Edward Nora, and you for um, bearing with all of this craziness with the Marvel comics. Next week, the topic on the Overnightscape Central is Carnival. And you can take that in whatever spirit you feel is appropriate. But uh, a, a Carnival is it just sounds real good right now so that's what we're gonna do and uh the deadline 
for your uh, transmission to reach me is the 18th of July, maybe the 19th, somewhere in there. Uh, try to get it to me by uh, the evening of the 18th or during the day on the 19th, and I think you are uh, pretty sure of getting in um, recorded. Or you can type something up and I'll read it. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about something or have me narrate something or you just mic shy up, that service is available. A professional voiceover guy at your disposal. Just think of that. And the email address to uh, send any of this before that deadline date. And you can also do a follow-up to this Marvel comic topic. We won't stop you. Is K. This is the email address. You should be writing this down. K. P-Q-R-T-O-R-C at gmail.com. I'll say it again. K-P-Q-R-T-O-R-C at gmail.com. And, uh, yep, yeah, join us. Be one of us. This will be uh, fun. The Overnightscape Central Carnival. You're invited. And uh, don't say I didn't invite you. That's the way I'm looking at it. And... Uh, yeah, but we're living in weird times, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Uh, this was good, and uh, we will do this again next week. And until then, oh, oh, it's a real good idea. Set the controls for the heart of the fun.